So as we prepare for the sermon, I would love for us to take our attention to the word. Uh, we have two passages that I'll be reading this morning. Uh, the first is in Galatians 5, but that's a passage, it's a couple of verses that we've been reading over these last few weeks. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter 1, uh, that will be the longer passage of scripture that we'll be in. And while you are flipping to 2 Peter 1 or using your, your smartphone device to get there, I will go ahead and read our Galatians 5 passage, and then I will join you in 2 Peter 1. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 11 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has, oh, I'm sorry, I need to change my version. I apologize. I'm supposed to be reading from NIV. My bad. I'm going to start over. Here we go. Verse 3, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 11. That sounded familiar. Anyways, anyway. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love." For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Andrew, for reading that in the NIV. I like the wording. Well, good morning, Scarlet City. My name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. This morning, we'll be concluding our series in the fruit of the Spirit, listed in Galatians 5, and this week we'll be talking about the final fruit, which is self-control. And I think a a fun and helpful and maybe embarrassing starting place would be a recognition of how many of us maybe lack self-control. I have a question. Have you ever said anything? Have you ever let something just roll off the tongue that got you in trouble? I have, plenty of times. Some of you might be laughing under your breath. If you know me, I've said some things. Now, a close friend of mine, this is a few years ago, a close friend of mine was visiting a church that Ashley and I attended, my wife, and she'd come a few times and then stopped coming, and I was asking her what had happened, what, what, uh, what was there a reason she wasn't comfortable or if there was anything going on. And she said she noticed when she was there that there was a guy that she had dated in the past who was there, and it had ended badly. 
and it was a little bit too distracting uh, at church, even though the relationship was many years in the past. And I quite stupidly, and I still think about this, it's over 10 years later, I still think about what I said to her when she said that. I said, just get over it. Just get over it. Now, my intention in asking her what she was thinking and, and how she was feeling was to communicate that I loved her, that I cared for her, that she was one of our closer friends, and that I wanted her to be in the same faith community as us. But instead, what I said was, get over it. There was no love, no understanding, no care in the words. There was no self-control. There was no discipline in my use of my tongue. I didn't take a moment to think about what I was about to say. Instead, I then had to apologize for being an unkind jerk. Now, this week, this past week was Christmas, right? And I think there's all kinds of things that we could talk about uh, with self-control when it comes to holiday time. Uh, but for myself, I had this sermon that I was thinking about during the week. It was kind of hanging over me, not like a, a dark cloud or anything. I was just thinking about it, you know, during the week. and knew it was coming up this morning. And with Christmas being Tuesday, I, I got a late start, got a late start during the week working on uh, the sermon. And it was late Friday night I was working on it. So this is about 36 hours ago. I was, I was up late working on it. And uh, Jackson, my son, one of our nine-month-olds, we have two nine-month-olds, and he had a fever uh, all during the week through the second half of the week. And Ashley had asked me to pick up more Tylenol on the way home. Uh, so about 1 a.m. rolls around, and, and I'm a late-night worker, and so I'm at Giant Eagle, naturally, because they're open 24-7. And so I'm working at the cafe. I decide to call it a night, and I grab some Tylenol. And, and nobody's in there, and so all I'm kind of thinking about is, like, how empty the aisles are, how much food, how many options there are for, for late-night snacks, okay? So I'm walking through the bakery area. I'm walking through the snack aisle. I'm walking through the candy aisle. Okay, I'm just up to no good. And there's a certain snack that I evangelize about at Giant Eagle, okay? Who knows what it is? Popcorn, okay? There is a bag of popcorn at Giant Eagle. It's $2.99. You could fit a small child in this bag. And it is delicious, too. It's as good as almost any popcorn I've ever had. So, of course, I grab a bag of popcorn, and I grab some chocolate-covered pretzels. This is like one in the morning, by the way. And I make it back to my car. I don't even wait till I get home. I live five minutes from Giant Eagle. I don't even wait till I get home. I'm in the parking lot, in my car, it's parked, it's running, and I'm eating popcorn out of a bag and chocolate-covered pretzels. This is 36 hours ago, okay, before I'm preaching this morning on self-control. Now, what I didn't realize, okay, what I didn't realize at 1.30 a.m. on Friday morning, Saturday morning, or whatever you call it, Saturday morning, Friday night, uh, I didn't realize that I would be spending the following eight hours in the emergency room at Children's Hospital downtown because Jackson's fever would not come down. Okay, it was at 105 on Friday night and it was just, nothing was helping it. He, he was, he's got a double ear infection, by the way. It's not great. But what I was afforded, what I was afforded during that time was six and a half hours of sitting in a lobby, in a waiting room, thinking about my life and my actions and contemplating my existence. <laughs> Like, what else do you do at that point, right? No sleep, nowhere to go, nothing to eat, nothing but a, a stomach full of chocolate-covered pretzels. Kids crying all around me, my own kid crying, 20 kids, like, coughing in the, in the waiting room. I was feeling very self-reflective. I was like, how did I get here? How did this happen to my life? I cried a little bit. I laughed a little bit. I hallucinated a little bit, okay? At one point, and I, I'm, I'm standing here, I have this memory in my brain. I have it in my brain. 
Jackson looked up at me and he, he made fun of me because I didn't bring a bottle of water. He's nine months old. He doesn't speak. He was asleep when this happened, but I'm telling you that it happened. He looked at me and said, where's your water bottle? So I'm sitting there just thinking about how much self-control I lack in my own life. I didn't realize I was going to have to survive the rest of the night on popcorn. And I'd spent the week reading and thinking about self-control and how it's portrayed in the Bible. And so much of what I was finding in this specific area of of Christian thought and Christian uh, theology was that this spiritual discipline is heavily emphasizing that we need to get our head right. When we simply realize that Jesus is better than anything, any temptation that might come into our life, self-control comes naturally thereafter. And I don't reject that, okay? I don't reject that idea or that uh, notion, in fact, I do think it is a significant proponent of growing in faith and uh, in growing in the different areas of the fruit of the Spirit. But I think that it is an oversimplification that at times misses the heart of self-control and the other fruit. So this morning, I want to simply look at what does it mean to grow in self-control? We'll look at three different things. What is it? What is self-control? Why is it included in the fruit of the Spirit? And how should we grow in it? So let's begin with what is self-control. The very idea, the very phrase itself implies something. It implies that our self produces wants and desires that we should not satisfy, but instead we should control. Jesus in Luke 29, uh, excuse me, 3, okay, let's try that again. Luke in 9.23, (laughs) okay, I can do this, I promise. I'm, I'm running on very little sleep. Jesus Christ, our Savior, in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So on a daily level even, we have desires that we should deny in some way or form. So Christian self-control is not merely just say no, right? Something you might have heard if you grew up in the 80s or 90s in dare, right? Dare in the elementary schools and middle schools, just say no. Self-control is not just say no, But it does sound like, it sounds like just the word, the phrase itself, it sounds like my own personal regulation, right? Self and control. It's about my willpower, my strength to bring restriction, to bring denial, to bring law-abiding restraint. But I think that 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 description, that doesn't really sound like the gospel to me. We talk about it a lot here all the time at Scarlet City. We say the gospel brings freedom, We spent the whole first half of this past year in Exodus talking about that very theme. And the beautiful story of the gospel is that God liberates and releases his people from spiritual slavery. So what's the deal with self-control as a fruit of the Spirit? Think about making an addition to a house or a building. Let's say you own a house, right, and you want to blow out one of the walls in your kitchen so that you can have room for a dining room or something. Now, once that addition is built, once that addition is in, it's not separate from the house anymore. You wouldn't think of it as not part of the whole house. The addition itself becomes a portion of the house. And this is similar to us in our faith as well. Building things into and onto our faith is like adding an addition to a house. When we hear faith plus something else, 
we naturally assume that they must be opposites, right? That faith plus anything else is, is an issue. It's a problem. It's incompatible. But the book of James itself, the whole book of James is an emphasis on faith and works. Works are a manifestation of faith. It's part of belonging to God. It's part of being faithful. It's an outpouring of the conviction that's in our lives. Works don't replace faith, just as faith doesn't disallow conviction and service. So self-control then, self-control is similar. It's something we build onto our faith. Self-control is not the ability or the effort that we give to get it right, to align ourselves with correctness or righteousness. Self-control is the God-given, spirit-empowered ability to say yes to the good things God calls us to and to say no to the things that pull us away from God and the flourishing he wants in our life. It should be up on the screen. There you go. And that's for right here and right now. Right here and right now in our lives. So this will be our working definition of what Christian self-control is this morning. So let's move on to why is it considered a fruit of the Spirit, other than the fact that it's listed in Galatians 5. So for this, let's look at our Second Peter passage that Andrew read for us a little bit ago. We're going to go through all of these verses, a few of these verses quickly here. So the first two verses, Second Peter chapter 1, 2, and 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through, excuse me, yeah, through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So here, Paul is setting up, excuse me, Peter Peter is setting up the Holy Spirit's role in our living out Christ-like lives. He's given us tools. He's given us everything that we need to do this. Knowledge of God himself, the great and precious promises, and an invitation to participation. Now, continuing in verses 5 and 6. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Part of that participation that we're invited to do is to make every effort to add to our faith. Not that faith is lacking, not that faith is incomplete, but in addition to faith, build Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Right there, we've got five of the nine fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5 here in 2 Peter. Now continuing finally to uh, verses 8 and 9. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, and put a pin in that phrase, put a pin in that phrase, we're going to come back to it. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Christ. So my knowledge of Christ is supposed to make me effective 
and productive. Self-control right in the middle of that list. And if we do not have them, it says we're nearsighted and blind, forgetting that we have been cleansed by Christ from our sin. So what is all this saying? What is this passage saying? What happens when we forget the truth of the gospel? What happens when we forget what is true about God, about ourselves, about the spiritual and physical world around us? What happens when we act like the gospel is not true? If we forget our forgiveness, our state of being forgiven, we're going to feel guilt and shame. We're going to believe that we are guilty before God in the wrong. And we're also going to feel shameful. We're going to feel embarrassed, regretful of who we are and the things that we've done. And if there's no spirit-empowered self-control in our lives, we will feel that shame and guilt. Not because we deserve to feel it, but because we've forgotten who we are. Not because we aren't forgiven and we aren't loved, but because we forget who we are in Christ. We begin to think, over there, okay, back in my past, at that time, God forgave me, right? I prayed a prayer. I got into heaven, right? I got my ticket. I've got a golden ticket, right? But right there, right where we stand in that moment, we don't have it all together. We don't have it all figured out. We realize that we can't live a perfectly clean and pure, perfect life. So we start to doubt. I'm going to lose my seat. God said, make every effort. What am I doing? We treat salvation as this singular moment in which we're saved. And we boil all of Christianity down to it, saying, Lord, I believe I trusted you with my life. Now I'm saved. You know, salvation merely becomes what's going to happen to me when I die. But salvation, right, a life of faith is much more than simply what happens to you when we leave this earth. It means that we are brought close. We're saved out of darkness. We're saved from separation. And on top of that, we are saved into a relationship with the Lord and with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. And that's right here, right now, today, in our lives today. In every moment that we have faith in God, we are saved from the results of sin and saved into the blessings of God. That's every time, every moment, every decision. And what we're in danger of is being unfruitful. God is inviting us to participate with the Holy Spirit who lives and speaks to us, to everyone who has saving faith in Christ. God is inviting us to participate in walking by faith. Every moment, every Day. Without the Holy Spirit-empowered self-control, we ignore this. We ignore the ways that God wants to bless us and care for us and love us. And this reminds me of a story of when I was about 19 years old. I was at a campus ministry meeting, and that night was special. This was down at OSU. It was special because Coach Tressel and some of the Ohio State football players were coming to share their testimony uh, uh, at the meeting. And a prominent player, okay, someone that I really love and still to this day I'm a huge fan of. He plays in the NFL and I won't share his name because this story is a tough look for my guy. But he gets up there and he tells this sort of parable. It's sort of a, a story that he, that he maybe grew up with. And it went like this. He said, imagine you die and you go to be with God and it's wonderful, right? You're united to Christ. You feel nothing but joy. And Jesus is kind of like walking you around heaven. He's like, hey, check this out. Here's some things over here. Maybe he's like giving a tour. And remember, this is just a story. 
And he's showing you all the ways, you know, he's showing you sort of pictures from your own life, experiences from your own life, and he's, and he's showing you ways that you were faithful in life, right? That you were faithful to him. And he's revealing the different ways that you were blessed by that and in the things that you were faithful to. And you pass by a large building, a barn perhaps, or uh, something that's holding something, a large building. And, and you ask Jesus, what's in there? Okay, what's over in that building? And Jesus puts his arm around you and he says, those were the blessings that you could have had had you been more faithful. Think about that. Think about that story. Think of the shame and the disgrace that that communicates. And I think that he sort of thought it was like a mic drop moment because he just ended it right there. And I think he wanted to communicate something good, right? I don't, I don't believe any maliciousness in it. I think he wanted to communicate that he is motivated to be faithful because God calls for it, right? He promises to be with us. He promises to bless our faithfulness in certain ways. But the way that he communicated it, all I could think about was how it sounded like a carrot on a stick. God dangling decisions and situations in front of us so that if we do the right thing, if we, if we are faithful in the moment, that there will be an immediate and direct reward for it. And if we don't do it, we're gonna miss out. And I just don't see that theme, that idea playing itself out in scripture. The call to live a life that is marked by self-control and the other fruits of the spirit is, mainly, is not mainly a means to procure rewards in this life. And if we don't, God will leave us behind. This life is hard enough as it is. It's hard enough without, without the added pressure of, if I don't live perfectly, God is going to withdraw his presence from me. He's not going to love me anymore. He isn't going to work on my behalf. He isn't going to want me. Living a life of faith is hard. Sometimes it's hard to see the big picture because of some of the struggles and the hard things that are right in front of us. You know, I was watching Shark Tank the other day because if you don't like Shark Tank, I don't know who you are. But this guy whose business went from making $200,000 a year, which is, <laughs> sounds pretty good, $200,000 a year before Shark Tank, before he's on Shark Tank. After he's on Shark Tank, he was making like $10 million a year. And he put a little capstone on his update, his business update, by saying this. He said, if you work hard, live your life with integrity, good things will happen to you. And I tell you, I about fell out of my chair. Like, that's it? That's all? That's it? That's what's wrong with me? That's what's wrong with all of us? You know, we're not working hard enough? We don't have enough integrity. There has to be more than that. There has to be. I mean, God bless Shark Tank, but there's got to be more than that. And I think that's what Peter is offering to us in this passage. It's saying, build onto your faith, right? Build onto your faith these things that the Spirit gives and empowers us to grow in. The danger of being unfruitful is the same danger as walking around nearsighted or blind. If you need glasses to see, it doesn't mean that you're unable to walk, but it means that you're doing it unnecessarily hard if you don't wear your glasses. We increase the difficulty and toil of life when we don't participate with the Spirit in growing in faith and in cultivating fruit. And with self-control, it's not a means of its own end. The goal of growing in self-control is growing in faith. 
It's loving God. It's loving others. It's not to be in control of our own lives perfectly. It's about being more dependent on God, being less dependent on our own strength and abilities. And only the Spirit can give us the ability, the ability to say no and to say yes and to do the right things in the right time. Growing in Spirit-empowered self-control means saying, I don't have the ability to control myself. I'm a mess, okay? I'm sitting in a parking lot eating chocolate-covered pretzels at 1 a.m. I don't know what I should do. And that's why this is a fruit of the Spirit, because we don't actually have the ability or the strength to be self-controlled. In my life, I need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is the giver of the fruit. I need help. I need wisdom. I need knowledge in the moment to know how and when to say yes or to say no. And that can't come from me. It can't come from you. Self-control isn't willpower, it's faith. And it's the spirit that gives it, that gives power to our strength. So how do we do it then? If the, spirit, if the fruit of the spirit, if, if self-control is a fruit of the spirit that comes from the Holy Spirit, how do we learn to participate? How do we lean into participating with the spirit in growing in self-control? So let's talk about that. When we talk about self-control and willpower or building good habits or breaking the chain of addiction, we usually think about the end result, right? We, if we wanna lose weight, we wanna do it today. You know, I wanna be skinny tomorrow. If I wanna break an addiction, I wanna be rid of it today. I want new habits to start and I want everything to be good. I wanna have it all together right now today. And I said earlier to put a pin in verse eight and in verse 8, 2 Peter 1, it says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. And I want to hone in on that phrase, in increasing measure. I think that idea bucks against so much of how we view our own lives or our culture views life today. You know, I want it now. Give it to me. I don't care how, I want it now. Okay, for those of you listening, that's the second Willy Wonka reference from this morning. Veruca Salt, right? She wanted all of it. She wanted it right now. And that's how we approach lots of different things in our own lives as well. And how apt that we end this series, right? We have this topic when it's New Year's resolution time. You know, don't go to the gym on Tuesday because you're going to be neck deep in people that you see on Instagram, right, who don't know how to use the machines or the weights. They're just like... Don't go on Tuesday. Maybe Wednesday too. But self-control is kind of like going to the gym, right? I hurt my back a little bit. I need to. Okay. You guys know I have real back problems. Now, self-control is actually like going to the gym, right? It's like a muscle that you grow, that you strengthen over time. It's slow. It's gradual, which is why I think that phrase increasing measure, in increasing measure is used here. Participating in the Spirit doesn't mean that starting tomorrow you're going to have and you're going to make you're going to have it all together. You're going to make all the right decisions. You're going to have all the right yeses, all the right noes. You're going to have all the strength, all the power of self-control tomorrow. God is in fact inviting participation. He's inviting us to create patterns, to create habits, to live a pattern. 
that grows our self-control and willingness to consistently fight against our sinful, selfish, or destructive behaviors. And everyone's different, right? Everyone's different. You may be tempted by, to do something or to not do something, right, that the person beside you isn't tempted by at all. You may be tempted to overeat, to overdrink, to speak out of turn, to show up late to everything, to spend too much money on unnecessary things. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's true of the person next to you or anyone else in this room. You know, when I was a kid, my grandfather, his name was Denzel Walker. What a great name. Sounds like a secret agent. He worked in a factory. But he used to make these wonderful culinary creations, okay? Nothing fancy like you might see on Food Network or something like that. Uh, But cookies, cakes, cinnamon rolls, breakfast casseroles, it was awesome. But it wasn't any of those things that got me in trouble. It was the pepperoni rolls. Okay, my cousins and I, excuse me, my cousins would always eat the cookies and drink all of Pap's Sprite, but for me, I couldn't resist the Ronies. Y'all never said Ronies before? You can have that. That one's for free today. And it, wouldn't ha- it, it would happen all the time, right? It would happen all the time. He would put out like two or three dozen pepperoni rolls on the cooling rack. And before they would even cool down, man, like I'm in there. I would eat five or six in like three minutes. And not like the giant pepper, like these are like, you know, pepperoni dough circles. Okay. <laughs> And I would eat them, right? I would eat them with such fervor, such excitement that I would get sick, okay? This would happen all, this is like a cycle. It would happen all the time. And I wouldn't be able to go swimming, okay? I wouldn't be able to play because my tummy hurt. It was bursting at the seams with ronies. I didn't have any self-control, no self-control. My grandma used to tell me, she's like, eat a few now, eat a few later, eat a few tomorrow, eat a few the next day. You can enjoy them over and over again without ruining it by eating five or six, like all in one handful. And she was right, but I did not listen. And what's interesting now, my pap died in 2013, and I haven't eaten a high quality pepperoni roll since. It's almost like they're ruined for me because they'll never be paps. They'll never be the same. And most of us know, right, that that bad things aren't good for us. We already kind of know that inherently. But what we sometimes forget is that good things, too much of some good things like food, sex, sleeping, spending time with others, when they're done too much, when it's done to excess or at the wrong time, they have negative effects on us, negative consequences. Go, eat your pepperoni rolls, eat them, but with moderation, with self-control. An utter lack of self-control leads to abuse, leads to exploitation, oppression, and suffering, both to ourselves and to others. Without limits, the human condition can lead us down some pretty dark paths. So practically, practically this morning, I'm not going to stand up here and give you tips, you know, like a top 10 list of how to specifically be more self-controlled after spending most of our time this morning talking about the Holy Spirit's role in giving us power and wisdom. But what I do want to do is I want to give us an encouragement of how to grow in faith. When I was in my late teens, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, when I was first taking steps of faith, the first time I was believing, all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was grow. I wanted to be a mature Christian right away. 
I was thinking, I need to rely on God more. I need, to, uh, I need wisdom in dealing with my friends and family. I need to be more kind. I need to take joy in the Lord. I need to be patient. I have to stop being jealous and angry, bitter. But what I didn't realize was a lot of what we've been talking about this morning and in the Fruit of the Spirit series, our job as Christians, the way that we participate with God, the way that we grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is by connecting with the source, by connecting with God himself. If the fruit is an outward expression of faith and maturity, then we have to cultivate the root. We have to dig down deep and intentionally lean in to connecting with the Lord by knowing him, by worshiping him, by serving him by receiving his love and care, by getting to know ourselves and our identity as children. So I'm going to put up a slide here, and I don't want it to overwhelm you. Okay, we're good. Well, I thought they would all be on one side. It's okay. You can just go back. You can just casually go back and forth between the three. Thank you. Um, So I don't want these, uh, I don't want the things on here to overwhelm you. And you can write these down. You don't have to. Uh, You can just casually glance at them. But this is a list of the casual, excuse me, the classic spiritual disciplines. Okay, these are the ways that Christians over the centuries have grown in their faith and have seen transformation happen. This specific list that I'm uh, using this morning up on the uh, screen comes from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, in which he calls the disciplines a door to liberation. Spiritual Disciplines as a Door to Liberation. Now, you can go and read this book. You could spend time exploring the biblical and traditional expressions of spiritual disciplines. Maybe you're already doing some of these, right? But I want you to hear, and what I, what I want you to hear and what I want you to know this morning is that cultivating your relationship with God is the core of how we grow. Reading the Bible, coming to church, Being involved in discipleship, going to a small group, prayer, fasting, serving those in need, all of these are different ways to connect with God, to align with God, to spend time with Him, to grow that relationship. And ultimately, that's how we grow. That's how we mature. This is what I didn't realize as a young Christian at all. At different speeds, at different times, we grow. And I would encourage each one of us this morning to release the pressure, take the pressure off both yourselves and those around you. Know that God is greatly invested in you. He loves you. He cares for you. And when you fall, when you fail, he isn't surprised or ashamed at your failures. Allow yourself and those around you to experience the beautiful grace of God. And at the same time, at the same time, be diligent to lean in. Be diligent to ask the Lord to come into different areas of your life and bring healing and bring growth. Spend intentional, worthwhile time with Him. And it can look different for everyone, right? It's different. If you have specific questions about this or you want help in this area, then I would encourage you to reach out to a friend, reach out to a small group leader, myself or another pastor on staff, a trusted mentor. Because this is important. It's important that we lean in. It's important that we grow and know the Lord more and more. 
As we close this morning, as we close this sermon and this morning and this whole series, I want to say to you that if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know God, if you haven't experienced Him, if you don't know His love and mercy, then you have to be careful with some of this stuff. Don't be concerned with how to live a Christian life and grow in your faith before you know God Himself, before the Spirit of Christ has come to you. And for all of us, God wants us God wants us to experience his good intentions. First John says that perfect love drives out fear. So if you belong to God, then this message about self-control doesn't have to produce fear or pressure or self-loathing. It's not the self-control, it's not the joy, it's not the patience that we need specifically. What we need is God the Father to love us as his children. We need Christ, who came to this world as a humble babe, born to an unwed teenage mother. We need him to love us. He gave himself. He sacrificed himself for us. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and give us the power that we need to grow and to experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Come, Lord, your people are waiting. Let's pray. Morning for being with us, Lord, for speaking to us. And Lord, as we end this Fruit of the Spirit series, Lord, we ask that you would be with us, that you would speak to us in those areas, Lord, in the nine areas of the fruits of the Spirit. And Lord, we recognize that we ourselves don't have the ability to produce these things within ourselves, which is why you give them to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, let us lean into that, Lord. Let us find ways to connect with you, Lord. They don't have to all be the same, but let us find our personal ways to connect with you and to know how much you care for us, how much you love us, and how much you want to see us flourish and grow and know you more. In your name I pray, amen.